This is the Apex United Methodist Church podcast. Well, I'm here this morning with a word of encouragement. You do have to carry on, but you don't have to carry everything alone. Hear that. You do have to carry on, but you don't have to carry everything alone. My name is Owen Barrow, and it's so wonderful to be with you guys this morning. Uh, Some of us may know each other, but I know that many of us do not. Uh, I was very fortunate to be able to serve as a pastor here at Apex United Methodist Church, this family of faith communities, from 2007 through 2019. Uh, And over the course of that time, we made uh, my wife and I many wonderful and lifelong friends. I also made a whole lot of really terrible videos Um, but uh, also had the opportunity with the team in 2012 uh, to launch the 519 campus. Uh, And so uh, it's great to be back. I feel feel like I'm home. Uh, Even though I left uh, in 2019, I have continued to do whatever I can to support the work of this church, this family of faith communities uh, over that time. Uh, One of the things that you may notice that I've done, even if you didn't know it was me, is that uh, I've been slowly donating my hair to Tim Catlett over the course of the pandemic. Uh, And so... I know that uh, you're really all grateful for the work that I've been doing behind the scenes. <laughs> while, uh, while I was here uh, in the course of those 12 years, um, I served as an associate pastor under four lead pastors in 12 years. I served with eight or nine. I kind of started losing count uh, associate pastors and other campus pastors um, and around 100 or 200 uh, other youth pastors, I'm sure. It just seemed like someone was always leaving and someone new was always coming. Uh, And I know that we find ourselves here uh, as a church family again uh, in a time of transition. Uh, And I recognize the difficulty of that. Um, I also recognize that it's it's kind of a part of, of who we are and a part of what we've become I cannot tell you how excited I was to learn uh, that Laura Stern was going to be coming. Of all of the people that I respect a lot, she is one that I respect the most. Uh, And I just, I'm very excited for her because I know the family that she's getting ready uh, to get. And I'm really excited for you guys because I know um, just the incredible pastoral leadership that you're about to add to a team of incredible pastoral leadership already. Uh, And so I'm really excited for her. I'm really excited for you guys. Uh, But I recognize that that's a lot of change. That's a lot of change. It has been and is a lot of change. And really, that's what we're talking about today, the broken alleluia of change. I'll be honest with you. uh, I love change. I love trying new things. I love doing new things. But I despise transition. (laughs) Transition's hard uh, and it's painful Uh, Because when we're transitioning from one thing to another thing, even if the new thing that we're moving towards is a thing that we want, a thing that we like, it means that we're having to leave behind and to move away from things that matter to us. And that's always a difficult thing for us to do. It means we have to leave behind things that we care about. Losing something that matters is always hard. Uh, And in order to do that well, we have to be a people who learn to grieve well, to name the things that we're losing. Uh, And it's, you know, it's okay to be upset and to be sad about those. Uh, But in our ability to grieve them, uh, we can find ways uh, even still to transition into new futures. Uh, In fact, during uh, this pandemic season that we've been in, uh, back in sort of that early few months of things, uh, I was just scanning my bookshelf for any help I could find, any hope that could help me figure out how to lead a church through the middle of this thing. 
And I stumbled upon a book called Managing Transitions by William Bridges. And it's a book that Glenn Mason, uh, one of the pastors here a number of years ago, uh, led our staff through during a particularly rough time. Uh, and its orange cover was screaming out to me uh, from, from my bookshelf. And I picked it up and it's been really, really instrumental in helping me think through how to get through these times. But one of the things that Bridgers covers in the midst of his book uh, is he talks about some of the hallmarks of, of what that first phase of transition looks like. And I've been leaning on those things as sort of these five indications that we're in the midst of a transition. And one of the things that it did was it just gave me permission uh, to recognize that this is what everybody goes through in difficult seasons like this. So here are five of the things that he lists, and I'm paraphrasing them here. The first thing is that we experience sometimes daily a fluctuation of increasing anxiety and decreasing motivation. So if you wake up one morning and you're just not feeling motivated for anything and that's abnormal and sort of not who you normally are, that's just an indication that you're in the midst of a transition. Fluctuating anxiety and motivation. Second, uh, he says you feel overloaded. You find yourself asking the question, what what am I supposed to be doing right now? Where do I go? Uh, Because uh, all of the old habits, customs, and practices that we're used to, the routines that we're used to, all of a sudden are changed and gone We don't know what day it is because we're not waking up on Sunday and going to church in the same sort of way anymore. Uh, And so it just, our weeks feel different. Third, he says, is that old weaknesses are exposed. Uh, Because in times of strength, we're sometimes able to compensate and cover up for those things. I have found that to be particularly true for me right now. Uh, In some ways, a physical sense. I don't know if anybody else picked up a few pounds at the beginning part of the pandemic. Our old weaknesses, like eating our feelings, uh, all of a sudden seem to to come more to the fore. I've also recognized in my own life uh, how areas of sort of my sinful nature have tended to bubble up in different ways. It's harder for us to cover over our old weaknesses. Fourth, he says, we're going to experience a strong desire to rush forward or backward. And I think a lot of times, uh, a lot of cases for us right now, rushing forward or rushing backward kind of look like the same thing. I can't wait to get through this until things are just like they always have been. I uh, had someone recently, the normal, normal. Uh, and I think, uh, I think we can all kind of relate to that. And actually, it's a business book that he's writing, but he uses the Israelites in the desert uh, as his example there. And then fifth, he says that in times of transition, we're particularly vulnerable to attack. He says there, uh, you know, he's writing to a business community, so he talks about uh, another business coming over and maybe taking over your business. But I think, uh, not to overly spiritualize things, but I think in times of transition when our weaknesses are at the fore, our energy is at low, we're having this sort of fluctuating anxiety and motivation, uh, it's not hard to imagine how we might spiritually find ourselves uh, in a place of vulnerability as well. Transition is hard. It's hard. Uh, There's no way around it. You kind of got to go through it. And that's why I say we've got to carry on. What does it look like for us to carry on? I began asking myself the question, you know, is there any word in the Bible for a people like us today? And as it turns out, there is. Uh, There's a lot. Because we worship a God, and one of God's hallmarks is that God is always doing a new thing. And if we're going to be people who follow God into that new thing, that means that by our very nature, we're going to be a people in transition leaving behind our old ways or our old self or our old wineskins and doing the new thing that God is up to, which means we're going to be a people in transition. And so there are plenty of examples in Scripture of what it looks like for the people of God to be in moments of transition. The one we're going to look at this morning comes from one of Paul's letter, uh, letters to the Thessalonians. We call it First Thess- Thessalonians, and we're going to look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. 
the Thessalonians at this particular time in their life are actually going through a pastoral transition of their own. Uh, It's one of the major trading cities, and so it was one of the first places that Paul planted a church in Greece. Uh, While he was there, he seems to uh, have angered a lot of the folks in the town because he was proclaiming a king that was not Caesar. He was able to stay in the town for a while because while he was there, he could practice his trade. And uh, the church in Philippi, which is just down the road a bit, uh, was able to send resources and supplies for him to be able to stay in Thessalonica uh, and really get that church planted. And so he did good ministry there, first among the Jewish folks that were already living there, and then secondly among the Gentile converts. But it seems that his exit from the town was a little bit hasty, maybe something that they weren't anticipating or hadn't planned on. And as he moves down uh, the road there uh, to plant his next church, Uh, He can't find his way back to the town. He can't find his way back to visit the church. He can't find his way back to come and offer leadership uh, during a time of persecution that they start to experience from the folks in the town. And so they're asking themselves, how in the world do we get by without a leader in a time of persecution when we don't even know what the next month or the next year in front of us will hold? Tim, uh, Timothy, not Tim Catlett, but Timothy, uh, which is the sort of the associate pastor of Paul, gets sent by Paul back up to the church to try to encourage them. And this letter quickly follows. And it seems like it might have happened in the month or months just following his exit. So it's obvious that they are uh, up against hard times. They're trying to figure out what it looks like to move forward with new leadership and towards an uncertain future. What will the next year hold? If you want to flip open uh, your Bible and you can join us, if you have your Bible with us, uh, you can, uh, with you, you can pull it out. If not, you can press pause, you can go grab it off your shelf and you can bring it back. Uh, and if you need to find it, sometimes it's easier to use the table of contents to find it. Uh, we're in 1 Thessalonians. Um, you, the, Jesus put the table of contents in the front of the Bible for a reason, so don't, don't feel bad about using it if you need to find it. Um, we're going to look at the first five verses first. This is what it says. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, Paul here is, uh, is addressing a theological question that they had, sort of what does it look like when Jesus returns? Uh, but he's using this theological concept to address some of the anxiety that they're experiencing in their, in their practical reality. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. That's what Jesus said in the New Testament. When they say there is peace and security, that is when things are all of a sudden okay, that's when suddenly destruction will come upon them just as labor pains Come upon a pregnant woman, there will be no escape. I don't know if that's good news to any of you who are pregnant, but that's what Paul says. Paul, as it turns out, was never pregnant himself, so you might not want to take his word for exactly what that's like. Uh, But he uses it as a great example of how sometimes these things come suddenly, and once they come, they're there. But you, beloved, you were not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are all children of light and children of the day. We are not children of the night or children of the darkness, so then let us not fall asleep as others do. Paul is encouraging them to recognize uh, that the day of the Lord is going to come when the day of the Lord comes. Uh, There's not anything that they can do about it. Paul's insisting uh, that they just be prepared and be ready for it. The way that I would say that is that that the new thing that God is going to do is inevitable, but it's not predictable. Paul says here that you can trust that God is going to do the new thing that God has promised to do. It is inevitable, but it is not predictable. Now, if I had been reading Paul's letter at that time, the first thing that I would have said is the thing that I find myself screaming into my pillow every night, which is, 
if I don't know what it's going to be like, if I don't know when the new normal is going to be here, then I can't trust that it will arrive. Now, I don't scream exactly those words into my pillow. Mostly, it's just the guttural sound of frustration. Perhaps you can appreciate what that's like. But if I don't know exactly what's going to happen, if I don't know exactly when that new normal is going to arrive and what it's going to be like, then I find it really hard to trust that that thing is ever actually going to happen. Paul here is attempting to call us back to something greater. He's attempting to remind us that the thing that God is going to do, this new future, is inevitable, even if it's not predictable, even if we don't know when or exactly what it will be like. We can trust that God is doing this new thing. And he says that because of that, we can be a people of hope. Now, I don't know about you, but I tend to put my hope in my own ability to solve whatever the problem is in front of me. I can figure this out, I'm sure. I can work hard enough, long enough to get through this and to get us to a a preferred future, to that, that new normal, to that new future towards which we're moving. Which means... If I'm putting my hope in my own ability, it means that my hope is always going to fluctuate with my motivation, that my hope is always going to fluctuate with my anxiety, with my weariness, and with my feelings of control, which means that I'm not putting my hope in something that's particularly stable or sustainable. Paul here, I think, is insisting to the Thessalonians, and I would suspect also to us, that we ought to relocate the source of our hope to the source of the one who gives us life, Jesus Christ. God is big enough to maintain God's promises. Uh, The thing that God is up to is inevitable, even if it's not predictable. Paul seems to want to drive that point home. Uh, He goes on, and I'll just read uh, the next few verses here, uh, 8 and 10 particularly. He says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober and put on the breastplate of faith and love, And for a helmet, let us put on the hope of our salvation. Now, he's quoting from Isaiah there. We're going to come back to it in a second. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that we may live with him. Again, Paul here is just driving this point home in two more ways. The first thing that he does is he alludes to this passage from Isaiah. The passage in Isaiah says that we, through our sin, continue to put up barriers between us and God but that we can trust that God, who is actually putting on the same armor that Paul's just talked about, that God is going to fight through every barrier that we erect to be back in relationship with us, to bring us salvation, to bring us wholeness, and to bring us life. And then secondly, he says, he reminds us here that we are not destined for wrath, but we are destined for life with God through Jesus Christ, for salvation. These are things that God desires to do for us. These are the things that God, throughout the course of time and history, has been working towards. Why would we assume all of a sudden that God wants something else for us? Paul says that this is the character and the nature of God. This is the character and the nature of God on whom we can put our trust. If we are willing to submit to that in obedience to God. Putting our trust in God and God alone. The source of our our hope would be the source of our life. Instead of turning towards ourselves as that source, we can, through our obedience to God, relocate the source of our hope. That's hard to do. I'm not saying it's easy. But it is a choice that we have to make. So this morning, I think that there are pretty much three choices we can make. Uh, We can move in three different directions. We can move towards denial, towards despair, or we can move forward in determination. 
Denial and despair are great friends of mine. Uh, When things are particularly difficult, when things seem insurmountable, I love to move in both of those directions. Both of them are an abdication of my responsibility to do anything. Denial says, well, maybe there's not a problem here. Uh, I can't do anything about it, so I'll just pretend that it doesn't exist, and I'll just go gleefully through my life just pretending that everything's okay, just like it's always been. Despair is where I find myself curled up on the couch with a quart of ice cream, uh, sort of weeping into my mint chocolate chip, recognizing that there's nothing I can do to change it. It's just terrible. It's never going to be any better, and I just give up. There's nothing I can do about it. I love denial and despair. There are places that I go in my special times. However, I believe that Paul is calling us towards a different choice, a different decision, and that is to move forward with determination. Determination to put our trust, our hope, our faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And when we do that, even in the midst of uh, seasons where we find no control, uh, even in the sense where everything seems so heavy for us to carry, we recognize that it, at the end of the day, it's not actually up to us. It's not built on our character or on our ability, but by putting ourselves in that posture of prayer and praise towards God, we recognize that it's God's responsibility to carry us through this season and into the new thing that is inevitable that God is doing. We have to carry on, but we don't have to carry everything by ourselves. It's not up to us. We can, as we have said throughout the course of American Christianity, we can cast our cares upon the Lord. The last verse in that passage, you might have noticed we didn't read verse 11. Paul says, therefore, therefore, encourage and build up one another. If you're a person who's already decided to move forward with determination, uh, I would invite you to turn towards your neighbors, to turn towards your family members, to turn towards your church family, and to say, hey, listen, we have to carry on, but we don't have to carry everything together. Share that word with someone that you know, love, and trust who you think might need to hear it this morning. Maybe share this worship service with them or share this message with them and say, hey, listen, we've got to put our trust on something greater than ourselves to get through the season that we're in. Encourage and build one another up by reminding each other that we have to carry on, but we don't have to carry everything alone.